Welcome listeners to 2050 Miles of Poetry with me, Lee. And me, Charlie. Oh my God, Lee, it's the fifth week of lockdown in London. How is life in Helsinki? It's good. We've had a few days of glorious sunshine. Oh, that's why you're happy. (laughs) Yeah, admiring from my window and occasionally stepping out. Uh, but today it's gone a bit grey, so this is a good day for a podcast record. Oh no, it's sunny in London today and I'm uh, oh. the sun hasn't yet come around to my balcony. So um, yeah, I'm trying to get my toes into it, but it's a little bit far away, sadly. Yeah, <laughs> so this is also a kind of good time to be chained to your laptop just before the sun comes around. Indeed, yes. And I actually think it's a good time for a podcast, although um, it's a shame we missed out on yesterday. Because do you know whose birthday it was yesterday, Lee? Shakespeare. Very good, very good. My boy Shakespeare. <laughs> your boy Shakespeare. And when was your boy Shakespeare born? Do you know? 23rd of April. <laughs> and he also died on 23rd of April. Very good, very good. Can, do you want to give the listeners any more detail? <laughs> uh, he also, well, I don't know, maybe we'll do a Shakespeare podcast. I don't, really, don't want to use all my Shakespeare facts it's, too early. Okay, fair play, fair play. But I will throw you back to when he was born, which just feels mad. It oh, okay. was um, 1564. 1564. Yeah. That's a while ago, isn't it? <laughs> just a little while, yeah. Was that pre-plague or post-plague? Oh, that's a good question. Trying to well, put, we'll put ha- it in context of global pandemics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let, let me look that up then. Uh, perhaps while you tell us about what the uh, poetry podcast is trying to do. Yeah, so we decided to make this podcast because during these lockdown times, we wanted to share some poems with each other to A, have something to do and B, to cheer each other up. Uh, and then we thought we'd record them because it might be nice for other people to listen to. And now you can get this podcast on all platforms, which we're very happy about. So, yeah, I can do another Shakespeare fact if you're still looking up. Oh, give us another Shakespeare fact. That would be quite yeah. wonderful. So yeah. when he died in his will, he gave his second bed to his wife, his second favourite bed. Do you know so the, what, what kind of bed it was? Have you got any more detail on that? That's quite exciting. <laughs> well, there's, um, you know, there's conjecture as to who he gave his first favourite bed to. Oh, I see. How interesting. I wonder exactly. if that bed lives yeah. on somewhere in the UK. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Listeners, if you just want to, like, check under your bed if there's some Shakespeare signature or something. Yeah, look away, look away. Well, uh, interestingly, Lee, so Shakespeare was born after the first outbreak of plague swept across England, and that was 1348 to 49. So any unusual um, wildlife sightings in Helsinki in the past week? Wildlife watch here. (laughs) Uh, No, you tend to bring the wildlife. Last week you had the pink parakeets or whatever it was. (laughs) Indeed. Well, um, today I look out of um, my window and I can see lots of topless people, uh, those topless British people out in the park. Do you get that kind of behaviour in Helsinki? The red arms, the kind of pasty body and then the lobster arms. Yeah, it's definitely not the best. It's not the best. (laughs) None of that in Helsinki? <laughs> no, it's not been sunny enough for that. Oh. <laughs> Give it a few weeks. 
they do come out on mass though when uh when the sun comes up i say they that's a little bit <laughs> those two <laughs> it was uh almost a week ago that i sent to you some poems and i was having a wonderful time uh clearing out my flat and i found something very exciting i found um the london bookshop map which has 116 independent bookshops and um, oh, wow. i don't know if you're finding this that uh, mid pandemic uh, items that you've had for a while are coming out of the woodwork in your flat. Are you finding that happens? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I've got too much stuff. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Your personal collection. <laughs> it's, it's large. Well, the exciting thing is that it is a beautiful map and I will just show you so you can describe it to the listeners. So it opens up to oh, be wow. the most wonderful Yeah, so it's map. a maybe A1 sheet that opens up With- and it's graphically really nice with kind of grey blocks and luminous and then, green bookshops yeah, spread all through the city these kind of turquoise bookshops dotted around and the lovely thing about this is it folds into a little pamphlet um, describing all these bookshops and that was a great thing to find amidst pandemic when you don't want to support Amazon so I've ordered some books online but the really lovely mm. thing was is that it has a poem on the back and I thought, um, how lovely, um, a poem and somebody I've never heard of, um, called Holly Pester. So can I read you that, Lee? Yeah, please do. Brilliant. Okay. Glamour Hallucinated Love by Holly Pester. You know it gets published four or five times a night. This thing I made with blue glass. Fingers to rote is mine. I have taken my coat off, put it on again. Taken my coat off put it on, too attached, my feet are clean and meaningless, need muddying. Fog, big imagined lovers coming, there is blood in the till, smoke in the field, such description knocked us cold, and stayed supine to write more flocking, songs of together, filthy set, joints warm anyway, lived limbed, named mad and cohorted, apart together drowsy, Twins feeding, trade on. Your lips are a red work, your presence is toted in. Stuck, gradually gone, you walk slowly. Squidged into rapid bits and I am asleep, but my organs work on some image my heart likes to look at in the rest space. Yeah, really nice. I kind of, I struggled to unpack it, but I didn't mind that. I kind of quite like the... Um, sort of fragments of everyday situations or kind of things that didn't necessarily um, tell a direct story or anything and just letting those wash over you and not really looking. I wasn't really trying to understand it, just appreciating the different images and getting a general kind of feeling rather than, you know, looking into what the poem means or anything like that. Yeah, I I had a similar feeling, which I thought was quite nice. And I I felt that there was a slight sort of dreamlike quality. I don't know if the author meant that to be the case, but that's sort of what I took from it. It, Yeah, definitely. There wasn't really um, a linear story being told. It was quite fragmented. Yeah, and you can't really tell if things are kind of metaphorical or or literal. And I don't mind that quite like that. It makes it easier to just kind of see images and appreciate them. And for it to wash over you, exactly. So yeah, exactly. talking of that washing over you, so I have another one. And this uh, poem I found um, on the Poetry Society website, which is a lovely free resource. Mm. Um, and it's International Women's Day. 
I was put into a... Women's Day or Workers' Day? Oh, apologies. It, and it is International Workers' Day. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> I was put into a rare recovery position. The shape of bog people in loose rope. My niece sings a song under her fleece. He only had to peep in to peep in, but he still couldn't do it. I hand her two lions to put in her cheeks, purple and yellow. There's too much to do around here. What is wrong with her? I have a dragon problem and need help from the giant story. I pretend to eat a wooden radish. Are you selling or is it a gift? Pretend to kiss the grey spill. That's a real island. They're pointing at my earring. Someone is very small. She's crawling over my knees and whispering to her brother. Why did she come here? You cannot move. You mean something else. Not your plot, particular dirt. The plot is expressive stillness. She fell and slapped her head on my laptop. Five. Name the poem. Devotional shipwreck. Women lie down in various rooms of the house. Taken in by an older brother's homeopathic handling. Edged up to the dinner table. Glasses in memory of running to another flat with socks on. She's on the kitchen floor. The kitchen floor? This is the seabed, a melted spine, proto-storytelling. Use the swan-neck spider to get past an obstructing ball. No problem, you guys look great together. I'll just dissolve. This avenue gets more political every time I walk it. William Blake never left town. A man with a gentle northern voice shouts with real excitement. Has it nestled? Has it? Nestled it has. It's soaking. So um, this poem was published in the Poetry Review, Review Winter Issue 2017. Okay. Lovely. Would, would you like to read any poems now, Lee, I wonder? Yeah, so in response to those, I thought I would read some poems by Emily Berry. And that was because... When Charlie sent me these poems, I thought that the way that you read them um, kind of emphasised these fragments, this fragmentary nature of the poems that we just spoke about. And I could kind of imagine the spaces between the kind of phrases and things like that. And that reminded me of Emily Berry's poetry because she often uses these large spaces um, the way that the poems are laid out on the page, there might be kind of several returns or lines might be, words might be stretched across either side of the line, things like that. And the way that you read them, I haven't looked at uh, Holly Pester's poems or anything. I don't know if they are laid out like that, but that's what I imagined from the way that you read them and the feeling that I got from these kind of everyday situations and these kind of, yeah, fragments. So I thought I'd read you a couple of, uh, Emily Berry ones and because her work also kind of has similar feeling so the first one I'd like to start with is called Letter to Husband and that's from her 2013 collection Dear Boy so it goes like this Letter to Husband Dearest Husband Beloved Husband Most Respected Missed and Righteous Husband Dear Treasured Absent husband, dear unimaginable piece of husband, dear husband of the moon, it has been six months since I, 
dear, much lamented, distant husband, my champing heart forgives you. Please come. In a long undergrowth of wanting I creep. At night the sea is a dark room. I cooled and cooled. These white corridors are not free from longing. Dear postman, dear nighttime, dear dark mouth hovering over me, dear knee bones, dear palms, dear faithful body, I have wants. Husband, speech is a dark stain spreading. I have no telephone. No one will give me a telephone. I lost your voice in dark places. It is written over and over that please come. A scribble is the way a heartbeat is told. Dearest serrated husband, my heart scribbles your name. My mouth scribbles. I have cried your name in every possible colour. I have given you my proud, desperate, undeviating wish over and over and over. Sweetheart, please come. And that poem uh, was inspired by uh, Emma Hawke, who was a 20th century German lady um, who was put in a mental hospital from uh, schizophrenia. And she kind of became renowned for writing these many, many letters to her husband that were never sent and she never saw her husband again. So Emily Berry has kind of adopted the imagined kind of personality of that lady and written this poem. And I thought that was quite interesting. It kind of allows the poet to project themselves onto this imagined scenario. And also maybe the reader kind of can project themselves into that imagined that's really interesting. Sense. Yeah. Well, um, I had a little look through um, Emily Berry's website when you sent it through and she has an incredible mm. archive on her website and she has um, a little article that she wrote exactly about Letter to Husband. And the interesting thing it talks about um, this is an imagined fiction, this German lady. So Emma Halk. Halk. And she shows some of Emma's um, writings. And what I found interesting and he hearing you read this poem again is when you see them they're literal scribbles it's actually a page full of gray squiggles so her letter is wow. completely uh, unintelligible um wow. so I, it's, it's interesting how um emily has used this micro fiction and everything she found and almost collaged mm. it into a poem and i thought that was yeah that is interesting and i thought that was intriguing when you compare emily berry and mm. holly pester's poems are all very personal so I thought that was interesting because in my mind, poets always are telling these personal stories and reading Emily mm. Berry's work has made me question a lot of my interpretations of other poets. Mm. Although I wouldn't say that's necessarily typical of Emily Berry's poems. You know, a lot of the other ones are, are not done in that collage style and are more personal. Um, I was listening to a podcast with her yesterday, actually. And she was talking that she's often referred to as an autobiographical poet. Um, but th she doesn't really like that term because it implies that they're kind of factual things about her life. But really, they're just kind of personal um, kind of musings that need not be factual. They're just more kind of explorations of, of things that she's feeling or, you know, situations. Um, yeah. And... 
again with this letter to husband in that same podcast she was talking about the kind of fragmentary nature of someone else's work and she was saying that uh fragment the very nature of people using the word kind of fragment implies that it's something broken off of a whole but that she thinks that a fragment is also a kind of whole thing in itself and i thought that was interesting when you then read this poem and you have these kind of almost every line is quite visceral on its own like this dear unimagined piece of husband i can imagine almost like a whole story written about that or these different husbands like um you know there's one what's this one dear husband of the moon maybe yeah exactly so i thought that's really interesting and kind of nice way to think about poetry breaking it down and almost getting different stories from just individual phrases or lines or something dear postman <laughs> yeah exactly your postman <laughs> you seen him recently? No, sadly not. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Shall I read another Emily Berry That would be lovely, yes. Uh, so this one is called The Numbers Game, and perhaps this is a good example of what we were just talking about, maybe a more personal one. Or maybe not. You can decide, I guess. <laughs> so it goes like this. I was very young when I was cracked open. Some things you should let go of. Others you shouldn't. Views differ as to which. I kept hold of everything, just in case. So I think that one is, it's kind of funny. It's a bit of a one-liner almost about therapy, I think. That's how I read that. Isn't it? I, I think that's, Yeah, that's what yeah, I think. Yeah. It's quite funny. It's, in some ways, it's a little bit similar to some of the ones we were reading last week. Dark and a bit wry, isn't it? Yeah, dark, wry and a bit funny. <laughs> And that was from uh, Dear Boy as well. And I would now like to read one called Two Rooms, which is from her second collection called Stranger Baby, which was released in 2017. Quick, quickly, Lee, can I tell you something wonderful about Stranger Baby, which I quite enjoyed? In Swedish, it is translated to be picnic blixt. And I just quite enjoyed that. I also enjoy with the Stranger Baby book, it's a kind of, very vibrant green and then the emily berry is written in this kind of magenta but it's a very berry colored that always makes me think like did they choose that color because it's like her name <laughs> so yeah <laughs> this one I enjoy it. is yeah you didn't enjoy it apparently <laughs> no, no I, I do enjoy it <laughs> i'm enjoying the uh, the red of dear boy which i have in front of me <laughs> yeah um yeah, and apparently I was in this interview I was listening to with her, she said that Dear Boy was not really thematic. It was written over a really long time and they were just kind of poems she was writing maybe over six years. And then when she literally had enough, then she published that book. And what is enough? Whereas, well, I don't know how many's in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, with Stranger Baby, it was more thematic because it was written about grief because her mother died. Um, so that kind of gives some context for this next poem that I'm going to read. Uh, two rooms. I went into one room and then I went into another. I was in a room inside a room. There I felt safe. And I thought that was also relevant for this time because my flat is essentially two rooms and I know yours is not much more than two rooms, maybe three. 
Yes, uh, yes, um, it's very true. There, there is a small amount of space. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of is the one place you feel safe now. <laughs> it is very true. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I think it's quite interesting because I've also, uh, I think we spoke about this last week when um, poets sort of play with different themes, and I think um, she's exhibited uh, in New York alongside a ph- photographer called. Jackie Kenny uh, with an exhibition that explored distance, time, anxiety and dreams. So it's interesting that Emily seems to sort of have this other layer to her working practice, which I hadn't um, known fully about until I'd done a little bit of research. Mm. I don't know if you knew about it. And I would say definitely um, Holly Pester has a similar thing because she's got many uh, exhibits and I was looking through her work and I would say she's kind of working more on the artistic uh, spectrum you know she's done quite a few installations and sound installations there was one in the Arnofini in Bristol that was a kind of teddy bear that had a speaker implanted in its stomach and then it was reading poems or reading these sound installations into the gallery and there was another one that was in uh, Gilbert Scott's original red phone box in London and when you lifted up the receiver it would read you a sound piece So I thought that she's really straddling the kind of performance, uh, art, installation kind of disciplines. On on that point, I read a really good um, review on her in a magazine I'd never heard of called 3AM magazine. And she was describing that she sort of, she enjoys these mix-match media terms like speech poetry, voice-driven poetics, intermedial sound and performance poetry. Um, but okay. she's not just scared of poetry, and that that I quite liked. Do you think we're ready for another Holly Pester poem then, or would, would you like yeah, a little bit more do. Emily Berry? No, let's uh, let's hear a Holly Pester one and kind of think of it about think of it in relation to those things we just spoke about. And ponder a little, yes. Yeah. Okay, let me gather this up for you. Um, and another good uh, magazine I found uh, through this process: shitwonder dot com. so um and and this poem is the optimist uh which we all need a little bit of right now um yeah yeah me and you and i'm sure everybody else as we enter this joy for longer so the optimist (laughs) (laughs) my big structured hoop skirt is a whelping den of blasts counterfactual scenarios stiff smells a future image orientates up my hoop skirt The devotion bell of my frock, boggles wits, lemons that would rattle tales of possible worlds. That's where we're sitting, it's essentially nowhere, but it's possible. That that might hoop, a hope, and back we go. And because of its wide heart circle, I cannot get close to the things I want to more than approach, like the oak tree trunk to touch warmly, thickly and solidly for around an hour with my family. We're going about it in the past. I wondered where they were to go. Then from years ago, beacons in the lining, tokens in the wire from years ago. Fancy that, years ago, a few hundred decades ago. I would love it if I was included, but I cannot move from. Wearer to behaviour, doped on wishes, Don't you wish it was or would have been different? As the guest of the guest in a fake brocade, I remain pretty inanimate, I think a lot. 
I don't pray, but I sow warning signals to where the antecedent holds devotion. Hmm. I really like that one. It kind of, um, again, it's sort of, I don't really understand it or try and understand it, but the phrases really remind me of nostalgic things. There's a lot of kind of time and um, speaking of childhood and stuff, and I can see colours and places that from my own childhood and things like that. Like, the what's the first line? Something about hooped? My big structured hoop skirt is a whelping den of blasts, counterfactual scenarios. I think it's all very playful, as you say. Like, yeah. sort of, um, yeah. A f- she says, a future image orientates up my hoop skirt. Like, I think, you, you know, <laughs> does it bring to mind the idea of being tiny and hiding under a big uh, tablecloth? That's what it makes me yeah, think Yeah, exactly, of. that kind of thing, <laughs> or... Yeah, when you when you're a little kid and you used to do that thing with like a balloon canvas and then you used to run under it and things like that. Just the word hoop reminds me of kind of the hula hoops and brightly I can imagine brightly coloured dresses doing hula hoops and things like that and the play of words is really nice. I think that's really true. And I think it's really interesting that you say play of words because um on finding Holly Pester's poem at the back of my London bookshop um map. Um, I asked myself, who is Holly Pester? And I did a little bit of research about her. And um, Did you get an in- answer? <laughs> I got an answer, sort of, or the beginning of an answer. And um, on hollypester.com, she describes herself simply as sound, poetry, performance, text and writing. But I, did, I delved a little bit of a deeper in, um, New London Poetry, a, the City State, an article... Um, and there I found out that she was born in 1982, so she's one year younger than Emily Berry, born in 1981, Um, and also that one of the things that she specialises in is semantic reading. Do you know what that is? I had to look it up. (laughs) No, go ahead. So so here you go, we're we're learning together, and it's the interpretation um, and meaning of words, sentence structure and symbols um dealing with reading comprehension of the readers and how they understand their interpretations and i quite like that mm. so i think that interesting she, yeah. she she obviously enjoys using poetry as sort of a tool to sort of this sort of looseness and fragmentary nature of the poems uh, and their surrealness yeah really lets the reader or the listener just kind of take what they want from it and imagine their own kind of story around it or explore their own sort of memories and visions and colors and things yeah and we we pour our prism on it in a way if that makes any sense yeah exactly yeah yeah and i thought yeah i really like that one yeah really nice right so um but but i i think emily berry's poems have that as well in their simplicity also and i think it was interesting that you said that dear boy uh was just made over many years because i love how different all the poems are and almost how sort of simple and playful they are so I just wondered if you have the book could you read one of my favorite poems from it which is the tea party cats okay let me just find it the tea party cats on page 32 I think more people need to hear about the tea party cats I just think there's a certain like maybe playfulness and childishness perhaps or Maybe it's just the playfulness in both of their work through this sort of collage, dreamlike nature. Mm, yeah, okay, here we go. The Tea Party Cats. We're suspicious of the Tea Party Cats. 
We don't know why. They all turned out so well today and aired their charming characters. They were so smart they frightened us to death. We longed to have their style and easy knack of fitting in. We feared our taillessness would show us up or our sickly looking skin. We tried our best all afternoon, but nothing seemed to do. We spilled our tea into the saucer. We couldn't think of things to say. We weren't as dapper as these cats, whose whiskers nicely referenced their bow ties. We stood in corners, if you want to know. Nibbling biscuits through our mouths were dry. Some of us slipped away before the end. I stayed until the speeches, when the cats thanked each other proudly, proposing endless toasts, and then one of them exposed a weakness, but quickly covered it up. Mm. Clearly, that's not actually about tea party cats. But if you if yeah. you purely read it on that level, it's quite amusing. <laughs> kind of reminds me of like um, Alice in Wonderland or something. I don't. That's just the tea party thing, isn't it? It's kind of Alice in Wonderland mixed with um, Andrew Lloyd Webber, and I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't like it. You didn't like it. I didn't like that as much. I must admit. Well, may- I like the last line because then it gets dark, you know, <laughs> and then one of them exposed a weakness but quickly covered it up. That kind of takes it back to the more, like, less fantastic and more uh, human or more kind of mundane or sneaky aspect of life. Yeah, I wanted to read one more Emily Berry one, but I don't know if we've gone a bit heavy on her. We're clearly both fans. <laughs> if please I read do, one more, do. will you read a Holly Pesto one? I will. I will have to find another one as um, I prepared only three because I was very excited that you chose Emily Berry. But um, I will find one as you speak. So I think this is one of my favourite Emily Berry ones. And I think it does kind of tick both those boxes of perhaps sort of everyday life and being a bit depressing. So (laughs) here we go. My perpendicular daughter grew taller than they said she would. When I got her, I wish they hadn't lied like that. I thought a daughter would be light and quiet. Not at all. They hung her upside down inside me. Now she sticks straight out, gets in the way when I stand, close to walls. I tried to take her back, but they said I should be glad a man had known me. And I'd only got what I'd been begging for. Would I like a booklet? Instead, I asked for milk and tipped its long white screech right down. It left my tongue all feathery. There are no returns on daughters, they pointed out. She was under my dress like you know what. This is how the end begins, I said, and aimed. I really enjoyed that. And that was also from Stranger Baby, is that right? No, that's from Dear Boy. That's from Dear Boy, okay. Yeah. I mean, quite amazing kind of description of... uh, pregnancy especially the end and aimed (laughs) quite funny again well should should we stay on the that sort of uh theme and perhaps i could find you another in that ilk how about that yeah go ahead to be a woman i think you know you'll have to give us a bit of empathy lee (laughs) okay so um historical bed sores by holly pester Historical bed sores. Some women cup their breasts and women without breasts chirp at the thought. Women hold their babies up to the light and the women without babies weep at the thought. 
Women with tears in their eyes, with gas in their mouth, can pose with tigers in the bath. Tigerless women check the number of breasts, their childless heads, their breastless chests. Their sawbone rectangular, triangular. Armless kids climbed inside a clock. The women with no breasts, with red gruesome hair, are kin. Prepare bowls of hot gum in our bellies. We have clowns and bugs. We have mock breasts and bellies like bowls of hot gum. Frig the dried blue men. A soup for my sister, a new ear hole where her wound is alight. The women without babies sing into cat bellies. We hunt for sliced up income. For mama's dark red underwear. Strong girls breathing in rivers. Drinking out of each other. Speaking out of others' backs. Singing for our empty friend. Some river belies some ocean, some singular bump. Health custard. Bomb shoes. Who killed our cave? Who let out our wheel? A cave for my baby. A rubber ball full of honey. Without babies we chirp into caves, into everybody's cave. Drinking a pool of tomato pips and the last strings of egg. Delicious forever. Find a cave for my injured friend. Yeah, really nice, really interesting. Kind of, yeah, similar subject. Again, the kind of imagery is really... um visceral that one about hot gum and things like that yeah it's true there, there's what there's one sad thing though that um it's a shame i am not holly pester doing the reading because my understanding is that when she does a reading i think for her there's uh in each line of a poem there's something she wants to emphasize and something that frames something else so um, okay. in order to try and give you a little bit of a taste, um, I have prepared a clip of a poem actually by Holly Pester. The poem is, is called um, Trauma Porridge. Put Yorkshire fog seed in a butt with knotweed. Lug up chamomile corn. Ingest dock seed. Hen sick. Ingest black bind seed. Yeah, it's really um, well read and really, like, and it really makes me wonder even more uh, how they're laid out on the page, which was kind of what I was wondering when you were initially reading the poems to me. And I could kind of almost imagine the, the text on the page with these breaks and these kind of spaces and things. And I want to ask you, do you know... Uh, does she kind of try and articulate this dynamism through the way that the poems are laid out? Interestingly, I don't think it is through the way um, it's laid out. So the only actual printed poem I have, Lee Pester's, is the one um, on the back of the London bookshop map. And um, it, it is written, it has none of the breaks and three-word gaps that Emily Berry's poems have, so maybe that makes it very personal when Holly Pester um, speaks the poems, or that really becomes sort of her art form, and that's what I find quite interesting, and I know that 
um, she produced a final um, of um, a set of her poems called Common Rest in 2016. And um, interestingly, I want to um, tie into a little bit more of this article I read and this interview with her in 3AM magazine. And um, a question was asked of her. Um, Performity seems to be at the root of much of what you are doing. Was it natural for you to give speech preference over the page if you are doing that at all? Yes, that's my medium, over language or page. I'm experimenting in the sound and shape of speech, its noise and its parasitic qualities. I work very much on the level of the everyday and throwaway aspects of spoken language. I like the hilariousness in mundane speech acts and the comedy in performative speech. Any political violence that reveals itself behind the words is quickly offset by incongruity, banality, silliness. Maybe that's because I'm not bold enough yet, or maybe because I'm audacious enough to make that my playground. Mm. I think that kind of uh, is quite gratifying for our conversation so far, because that is some of the stuff that we've picked up on in her uh, poems. So that's quite nice. Um and maybe just shows that she's really good at it and that she can actually communicate those things through the the way that she's writing. Um, and that kind of makes a lot of sense with the sound installation work that she's been doing. And I wonder how she composes the poems, whether she works through speech or whether she writes, you know, physically writes or whether she's writing in her head and writing by speaking. You know, is she, instead of singing in the shower, is she just reciting poetry lines? She's obviously really good at, at it and kind of really um, articulating well what she wants to kind of tell in both the pace and the kind of feeling and emotion of the poem. She, like Emily, has um, collaborated a lot. So I read that she had collaborated with a composer from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. Um, so I, I, I wonder if, if it's through these collaborations that aid her um, in sort of seeing her poem in another manner and therefore breaking it apart for more breaths and pauses and more of this changing of flow through it. I think it would be interesting uh, in one of these podcasts to do some poetry that's kind of, I don't really know the word, we're showing our naivety about actual poetry, but the kind of ones that are really weird when they're laid out, you know? Like I was reading one the other day that was uh, basically a kind of... Uh, imagine like your granddad's jumper or something, or like a golf <laughs> jumper yeah, with yeah. those diamonds on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know. It right. was like that on the page made of letters. And I tried reading it aloud, <laughs> and it had a kind of really interesting effect, kind of trying to read that when it's it's kind of meant as a visual thing. I wonder if you're supposed to read them aloud. That would be quite interesting to just to get the listeners to hear purely verbal representations of these quite visual things. Mm, well, it's interesting you say that because I've just attempted to find the name of that as you've been speaking, and I believe mm. it might be called Concrete Poetry. So Concrete Poetry is an arrangement of linguistic elements in which the typographical effect is more important in conveying meaning than verbal verbal significance but in a way that's sort of the opposite to holly pester because her, yeah it is yeah. Her, her, for her the importance is sort of how it's spoken so maybe her and emily lie at other scales. they're not poetry yeah. concrete they're like poetry blancmange <laughs> perhaps there you go yeah yeah that's really cool really interesting
Do you have anything else you'd like to read or shall we call it quits? Shall we call it quits? But that has been a pleasure. Thank you, Lee. Aloha. Bye.